Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to put our attention before you, that even as you speak, we would listen. We pray that you remove distractions. We pray that you widen our minds and that you open our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the truth that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in an age of social media profiles, you usually can find a page that has a short description about that person, right? And usually that this profile would be written by that person themselves to describe who they are. And so if Jacob had a, a social media profile page, at this point of his life story, his, his profile page might say things like younger twin, uh, homebody, that's somebody who enjoys staying at home, by the way, uh, culinarian, Right? But in some social media profile platforms, uh, social media platforms, sometimes people can also leave comments on your profile. And so, if Jacob had a social media platform where someone could leave a, leave a comment, maybe Esau, his twin brother, would leave a comment calling him heel grabber. Right? Now, the birth of Esau and Jacob, they are both twin boys, and this is recorded in Genesis chapter 25, verse 24 to 26. And uh, their birth is recorded there. Esau was named Esau because he was a very hairy baby. And Esau means hairy, okay? And Jacob was named Jacob because he was holding on to his twin brother's heel as he was being born. And Jacob means heel grabber. And so this makes me wonder, you know, if there are any people who are named noisy because they are noisy criers when they are born. But anyway, uh, a heel grabber is a Hebrew idiom for somebody who deceives others. Okay, so it's not exactly the best name uh, to give a child. It's like calling, naming somebody uh, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> okay. Uh, thankfully, Jacob does not have this name forever because he's later renamed as Israel in Genesis chapter 32. And the, the nation that was promised to Abram would be named after him, Israel. And that's why this story is part of Israel's origins, not just the nation, but also the person. And today we're looking at one of the more famous episodes in Jacob's heel-grabbing career. Because this isn't the only time that he deceives others, oh no. Deception is very much who he is at this point. It's very much part of Jacob's character. But despite all that, he's still part of the, the origins of the people of God known as Israel. And so a big idea for today is that God fulfills his perfect purposes through imperfect people. Okay, God fulfills his perfect purposes through imperfect people. Now, today's passage revolves around the story of Isaac wanting to bless Esau and Rebekah plots with Jacob to steal that blessing for himself. Now, before we continue further, it will be helpful to know what this blessing is all right, and why it's such a big deal to this family. So what's a blessing? Well, today a blessing can mean several things. It can mean wishing somebody well, right? Blessings to you. Uh, it can be a polite thing to say, 
right? It can be a, a sum of money given. It can even be an automatic response to somebody sneezing, right? When somebody sneezes, you say, bless you. Uh, by the way, just in case you're curious, one of the supposed origins of this practice of saying bless you when somebody sneezes comes from another pandemic uh, during the 14th century known as the Black Death, the bubonic plague. So when people sneezed as a, as a symptom of, of this plague, people pronounced a benediction, right? Bless you, because that person might be dead soon. And so they wanted to speak a blessing before they died. Don't know whether true or not, right? But that, that's one of the, the supposed origin stories. And, but that brings us to another meaning for the word blessing today. And that it can be a benediction. And a benediction basically means a good word, right? That we pronounce upon others, wanting God to fulfill that goodness in their lives. And so this last meaning of blessing is probably closest to what a blessing is. A blessing is a favorable situation or condition or an experience originating from God's action. All right? So although blessings, blessings can be given by humans, uh, really only God can make these blessings come true. Okay, so the humans can pronounce the blessings, but only God is the one who can do the actual favorable outcome for that person. And so in today's passage, although Isaac is pronouncing the blessing, God is the one who actually does the blessing. Right? Mankind doesn't have the power to manipulate God to produce favorable outcomes just because of the words that we say. Uh, that's another topic like the effects of prayer, which we're not going to look into today. All right? but, so God is the source of blessing of producing outcomes that favor a certain individual. And so usually these are things that they will consider good. So like wealth, money, property, uh, good health, children, success, legacy, you know, and so on. But sometimes blessings are less obvious, like the blessing of ex accepting Jesus after experiencing tragedy and pain, or the blessings that come through raindrops like we, we sang about on Easter. But in today's passage, the blessing that Isaac gives has more meaning than wishing God's favor upon somebody. In verse 2, Isaac says that he's an old man. He doesn't know the day of his death, right? So he is expecting to die soon. He's probably about 135, 137 years old at this point. He's almost blind. Uh, he's expecting to die very soon. He, he doesn't actually die uh, for another 40 years, by the way, but he doesn't know that. He, he just feels so old like he's going to die already. So the blessing that Isaac wants to give to Esau before he dies is an inheritance blessing. And so this is a bit like a last will and testament. Isaac, he's expecting to die soon, so he's putting his affairs in order. And this blessing is part of that. Uh, we don't know whether actual property or, or possessions were attached to this inheritance blessing, uh, but there is some element of prophecy, okay? At least for the patriarchs like Isaac and Jacob, because the, the blessing that they pronounced uh, would later come true, right? Either because God had revealed to them what would happen to their descendants, or because it was already consistent with his will, which we will look at later. And so 
Now, just to clarify, a blessing is not the same thing as a birthright. The birthright goes to the firstborn son, and it's the, the head of the household status that carries on the father's legacy and inherits a, a double share of what is given to all the children. That, that is the birthright. And so both Esau and Jacob are twins, but Esau came out first, right? By a short period of time, maybe a few minutes. And that makes him the firstborn. So the birthright belongs to Esau. And what happens to it? Uh, Jacob buys Esau's birthright off him for a bowl of stew, right? This is the story that's recorded in Genesis chapter 25, verse 29 to 34. And uh, Esau was being foolish, he was being impulsive by selling off his birthright for something like a bowl of stew. But Jacob was also taking advantage of his hunger, right? And he was being a heel grabber even then. So coming back to this inheritance blessing, whether it signified material blessings or prophetic blessings or even both, it was very significant to the whole family, not just to the two sons wanting that blessing, but also to Isaac, uh, because he, he really meant it when he pronounced the blessing and he you know, couldn't just take it back and say, uh, actually, I, say the, I, I said it to the wrong person, let me just say it again, you know. Uh, no, it meant that much to him as he said it. And so, now that we have a better idea about this blessing, let's look at two perspectives of this whole episode. Okay? Firstly, from the human perspective. At first glance, it seems like Isaac and Esau are the victims in this story. Right? After all, Rebecca and Jacob, they're trying to deceive an old blind man. But some things to consider. Firstly, when Rebecca was pregnant with Esau and Jacob, they jostled within her, and so that caused her to ask God, you know, why is this happening? And God tells her, so this is his answer to her, uh, to Rebecca in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So here God himself is saying, the older will serve the younger. Uh, would Rebecca have remained silent about this? Unlikely. She would probably have told Jacob, right? And that, that was probably the reason why he wanted Esau's birthright in the first place, because he, he thought it was his, right? That, that the, the older would serve the younger, and so he was just making that happen. It's, it's likely that she would, Rebecca would have also told Isaac as well, since it involves the son that she prefers, and so she would want Isaac to also favor him. But Isaac preferred Esau, and this was probably why he wanted to give Esau the inheritance blessing anyway, despite what God had told Rebecca. In fact, Although this story involves Jacob and Esau, the main instigators in this story, the main ones who are pulling the, uh, moving the plot, are actually Isaac and Rebekah. They are the ones who set the events of the story in motion. And so what we have here is a case of two parents showing favoritism. Isaac wants his favorite son, Esau, to receive the inheritance blessing despite God's word to Rebecca. 
Rebecca wants her favorite son, Isaac, uh, sorry, Jacob, to receive it, and she masterminds a scheme to achieve that. Now, was Rebecca thinking about what God had said to her about the older serving the younger when she, you know, that, that prophecy, uh, when she cooked up this plan? Uh, oh, maybe. Maybe she thought she was fulfilling God's word, but she definitely didn't go about it the right way. But, you know, surely she would have known how this story would played out, that Esau would find out and this deception would drive the brothers apart. But maybe Rebecca was thinking about how God had also told her that two nations, uh, two people from within you, will be separated. And on top of that, there were probably some in-law conflicts as well, as uh, Esau's wives were a source of grief to both Isaac and Rebecca. And, you know, maybe like, like Sarah, uh, Rebecca wanted to make sure that that side of the family doesn't have anything to do with the inheritance. Uh, so, so those are the parents. In the meantime, we have Jacob. And although this deception is Rebecca's idea, and she orders Jacob to commit the deception, she basically says, listen to me, obey me, right? This scheme is consistent with Jacob's character of being a deceiver. And he goes along with it anyway. And he's not just reluctantly going along with it, even though he has some doubts initially. Uh, as, as he goes along with it, and Isaac is asking him questions, uh, suspecting probably something something is is off because his voice sounds like like Jacob's voice, but Jacob even uses God's name in his deception, right? Uh, when when Isaac asked his son in verse twenty how he managed to hunt an animal so quickly, Jacob replied, "The Lord your God gave me success." Very daring in his deceit. And so this Jacob is the one who would be the name of God's chosen nation, Israel. And this Jacob is the patriarch whom God uses to multiply Abraham's descendants. Compared to Jacob's parents and grandparents who struggled to have children, Jacob had 12 children and they would become 12 tribes. And these 12 tribes would exponentially multiply in Egypt until by the time they, they leave Egypt in the Exodus, there are about 600,000 men, not including women and children. Right? So Jacob is the one who produces that, uh, who, he is the beginnings of that huge multiplication. So let's take a step back. Let's look at this dysfunctional family these imperfect people, the parents all the way down to the children, what can they teach us? First thing they, we can learn, of course, is don't follow their example. Uh, don't model our family after theirs. Right, obviously, the consequence of this deception is that it split the family apart. Jacob fled from home. He lived in fear of his brother. And from what we know in the Bible, Jacob never saw his mother ever again. But other than that, one thing that I'm reminded of as I read this story is just how human they all are. Now, some people approach the Bible as a collection of legends and myths, uh, things that aren't based in reality and as a result, uh, nothing to do with us. But 
I read today's passage and it sounds like something that you might find today in some family drama, not just on TV, but happening in some home, maybe even your own home or in a neighbor's home. Maybe not the exact same thing about hunting and using gold skins and that kind of thing, but the elements of parental favoritism, sibling rivalry, family members trying to swindle each other out of each other's inheritance, right? Those things happen around us all the time. And so not only does that make the truth of the, God, uh, of the Bible relatable, it also brings us hope. Because while all this family drama is going on, God's perfect purposes continues on. And this brings us to our next perspective on this story, God's. Uh, earlier I mentioned that God can't be manipulated into blessing those he does not intend to bless. And so in today's passage, God's hand is not forced by Isaac to bless Jacob just because Isaac was deceived. God knew what was going on the whole time, right? God was not deceived. But we need to keep in mind the larger picture of God's covenant promises made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God had already intended to bless Abraham's descendants. And on top of that, the prophecy made to Rebekah in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, seems to suggest that it's true Jacob, specifically Jacob of the two brothers, between Jacob and Esau specifically, is true Jacob in this current generation that God will bring blessing. And so that's already been pronounced and uh, made known from God. Now the last part of Isaac's blessing in verse 29 of, of Genesis chapter 27 says, May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And this is almost identical to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So although Isaac is tricked into blessing Jacob, it matches up with what God was already planning to do in the first place. So, question to ponder, would God have still blessed Jacob if he didn't pull off this deception? if he didn't uh, follow through on what his mother told him to do, would God have still blessed him? Well, definitely, because God was already going to bless him. It was already something that he told Abraham was going to do. It's something he already told Rebecca was going to do. Uh, but God chose to allow his blessing to come about through this deceitful scheme of Rebecca and Jacob. What does this mean? It means that God didn't only use this dysfunctional family with a huge grabber of a patriarch in his plan to have a chosen people known as Israel. He also used, uh, he also used this underhanded method of deceit and trickery to accomplish his perfect purposes. And this is best summed up in the words of Jacob's own son to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. But Joseph tells his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I need to be clear here, it, uh, I'm not saying that the ends justify the means that we should resort to dishonest methods just because God can bring good out of it. But I am saying that we can have hope that God can advance his kingdom despite 
man's mistakes and selfish agenda. And that is the result of his amazing grace. Now we live in times currently that don't seem to be much cause for hope. We're living with a pandemic that doesn't seem to have a very clear end in sight. Initially, people place their hopes in lockdowns and SOPs to, you know, overcome the pandemic. I remember how proud some people were about, you know, oh, Malaysia was able to contain the, the spread of the virus right, in the middle of last year. And then it got out of control. And, and so people turned their hope to vaccines. And then new, more infectious and deadlier variants emerged. And last I read, certain vaccines seem to be less effective against certain variants. Others are placing their hopes in travel and trust bubbles or herd immunity. But again, we just don't know what will happen. We don't know when this pandemic will end or morph into an endemic. And not just that, our government is also in the midst of political turmoil. And just as how many people place their hopes in some parties and coalitions or even a democratic process, we know what happened to those hopes last year. And so between the pandemic and our government, many people's livelihoods and, and hope for our nation's future are balanced between these two things. And so recently, hope seems to be fleeting. And that might be the reason why suicide and attempted suicide rates have skyrocketed in our country in the past few months. But that is not the final say. That is not the end of the story. Today's passage shows us once again that in the midst of man's sinful and selfish agenda, also against the backdrop of famine and other tragedies in other parts of the Bible, God's kingdom continues to advance and his perfect purposes continue to be fulfilled. You see, no misfortune, no scheme of man can derail God and his good plans. Does that mean that we can expect the pandemic to just turn around quickly or for our government to suddenly be perfectly united and transformed overnight? Perhaps not. Maybe. I don't know. But it does mean that we can continue to hope in God's good purposes that are greater than those things. That God's good purposes will surely come to pass. So what are some of these good purposes that persist despite the bad circumstances that we may be in, or despite the failings of man? Well, the pandemic or any governmental situation does not undo the command to love one another or to be members of the body of Christ. So although it might change the methods or the environments that we're used to whenever we come together as a church, we can rest assured that God still makes it possible for us to love one another in community and to continue functioning as a body of Christ in this new normal. And so that is one good purpose that continues. The gospel will also continue to advance. The call to make disciples is not undone by our circumstances. The Holy Spirit will continue to harvest the seeds of the gospel that are planted in the lives of those who don't know Christ. And people will continue to be saved 
despite the pandemic and how it's disrupted our churches. In fact, more people might even be saved because of the pandemic and how it has disrupted their lives. And the call to do good as evidence of our faith also remains another of God's good purposes. And out of all the things that make us disciples of Jesus Christ, this is one area that is given the most opportunity to be exercised in our present circumstances. Doing good, helping those who need. And one more thing I want to highlight about God's perfect purposes being fulfilled through an imperfect people. Jacob didn't remain a heel grabber. God eventually redeems his character. Not without difficulty, as we will see in the weeks to come, but Jacob eventually is transformed. He is renamed as Israel to symbolize the new identity that he has. It's as though his, his profile page is refreshed and the, the newer, better comments about his character end up burying the older, bad ones until they are out of sight. And so, Jacob, his character, this person of Jacob brings us hope. Not only that God can bring about his good purposes despite our flaws and failings, but also hope that God can transform us and redeem the character flaws that we might feel are hopeless to try overcoming because we've just been struggling with them for so long. So even if we come from a dysfunctional family or maybe it's our own character flaws that run deep, there is always hope of God's redeeming work through faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in conclusion, could God have used someone better than Jacob in his plans? Definitely, but he didn't. And so God's grace abounds all the more in spite of the sin that so trapped us. And so when you know that God's perfect purposes can be fulfilled through imperfect people, would you be God's faithful disciple despite bad circumstances and the failing of man? And do hope in God and His good purposes alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some questions for us to ponder on. First, why do you think God chooses to act through flawed individuals like Jacob? Second question, have you ever witnessed God's good purposes fulfilled despite human failings? And if so, what was it? And last question, what is one practical thing that you can do to live out your hope in God's good purposes in this season of tribulation? And so as we ponder upon these things, I invite us to respond in song as we sing about God's amazing grace in our lives.